So for the last uh, couple of weeks, Paul's been talking about, um, if you could throw up my first slide there, Leah's. He's been talking about um, kind of the condition of our heart, the soil, God's planting seeds in our heart. What's the condition of the soil in our heart? Can God grow anything in me? He's a good gardener, but sometimes, you know, even with the rockiest of soil, it's hard for a gardener to be to be good. So we talked about the soil. We talked about weeding stuff out of our lives because there's some things that you don't, you don't nurture in your life. You just rip them out. I need less of that. Some good things, some bad things. I just need things to be ripped out. And last week, we kind of touched on the idea of pruning, how in one season, God will cut us back so that in the next season, we can be more fruitful. And it's usually not a, a fun process. Um, we never like the idea of pruning. I don't like pruning bushes, as you can look outside and go, you need to prune more often. I, I understand that. I don't like the process, so I don't do it. Um, but I want to kind of keep in that theme of, uh, of pruning this morning. So I want to read John 15, 1 through 2. Jesus is talking to a group of people and says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So the dry, withered branches outside, I need to cut off. I know. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the first day of March is in 10 days, or the first day of spring is in 10 days. It is so close, I can feel it. We're going to have a couple more frost. It's okay, but spring is coming. You know, mom's birthday is always in spring, and it's always like, Come on, buttercups, don't die on me this time. You know, the, the trees start blooming. It's, it's my favorite, well, it's my second favorite time of year. Fall is the best season. But if you can't have fall, spring is a really good substitute. Um, but with all the flowers blooming, we get pollen. You know, there's pros and cons to every, every part of life. Like, that's a beautiful tree. <gasps> I'll look at it later, you know. With our grass coming alive. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to grill out in the backyard, you know, and be able to walk in the grass, but that means you have to cut it, right? So there, there's always a, a pro, pro and con. Well, with every spring comes spring cleaning. So we're about to start walking through the, the halls of our house and figuring out which things spark joy, which things I want to kick. Do you have that drawer in your uh, kitchen that is just full of whatever? Because one day you might need 500 bread ties. The day is coming. Have you ever been around a hoarder that you ask for something and they're like, I have that. And it's like, oh no, I've just, I've just contributed to your hoarding of like, because one day you might need those bread ties. Um, you could clean it out during spring cleaning, but it's a whole lot easier just to shove it, you know, close that, you know, like, hey, there's stuff poking out of the closet. I'll just kick it back into the closet. It takes too much effort to clean it. It takes too much effort to look at it. It takes a lot of cognitive load to look at your junk. Do you have a closet that you can't hang up any more clothes in that closet? Because it's, it's full. All right. Well, I'll just have to build an additional wing on the house. Bigger closets. That's the solution. Bigger closets. Do you have a garage that you can't park in? So our lives are the exact same. As I go from season to season, I collect stuff in my heart and in my mind. And at a certain point in time, my soul gets too junky to move around in. 
If your garage is so junked up that you can't park a car in it, that garage doesn't get to live out its destiny. Getting a little heavy-handed, I know. That the, your closet can't live out its destiny if it's too cluttered. In our lives, we cannot live out our destiny the way that God intended if our soul's junked up. And we collect stuff every time that you have been hurt, every traumatic experience that you've ever dealt with just piles on to the junk in your heart and in your mind. Every dream that you had that died, every lie that you've ever believed about yourself, every lie that you've ever believed about God, junks and clutters up our souls so that we can't live out our destiny. I want to read a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians. By the way, this is one of those verses that you put on the refrigerator. So just get prepared for that. So 1 Corinthians is Paul talking to the, the church in Corinth, starting in verse 8 of chapter 6. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. Well, cool. Thanks, Paul. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Wow. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men that have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, or swindlers will ever inherit the kingdom of God. Well, goodness, Paul. Like I said, you know, this is one of those things you print out and put on the, on the refrigerator. Did you see yourself in that list? Have you ever cheated anybody? You will never inherit the kingdom of God. Well, goodness. See, when we get up here and we talk through stuff, it's not because we're just trying to pad our runtime. You know, we're not trying to stretch a 20-minute show into an hour-long show. We're talking about incredibly serious stuff that has powerful consequences if, if, we, if we get this wrong. Have you ever heard of foot binding or head binding? There are some cultures um, that the, that the idea of a small foot on a, on a woman is more physically attractive than a large foot. And so when, when girls are babies, they'll take their feet and kind of fold them up while the bones are soft and then bind their feet so that as they mature, their foot grows in like a, a curled up fashion so that they can fit in little shoes. And there are other cultures that, that the appointed head is more attractive than a round head. So they will take little babies and put them in these sandwich boards and bind their skull while their bones are still soft so that their head grows in a, in a misshapen way. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but seeing stuff like that infuriates me that someone would tell a little girl if you deformed your body, you would be prettier. Oh, it infuriates me. But everyone in this room is walking around, and we have let the culture that we live in deform us and contort us in such a way that our souls look like this. Work harder. Keep your emotions to yourself. Suck it up, buttercup. Deal with stuff. Man up. <laughs> you know, we have these things that we tell our kids, and it warps their souls so that they mature in a negative direction. So with that in mind, I want to bring these images 
to bear on the concept of pruning. And the, the first thing that I kind of want to touch on is that we have an incredibly distorted view of our identity. Each one of us has times that we look in a mirror and have varying degrees of excitement with what we see, right? We look in the mirror and we see ourselves as this, as this mixture, as this conglomeration of like the good things about us and the negative things about us. You know, like I look in the mirror and I say, well, I do this well. I'm really good at this. I've got this strength and I've also got this weakness. I'm really bad at this, but I'm really good at this. I like my shoulders, but I don't like my chest. You know, like we, we manipulate the image that we see in the mirror because a lot of the times we don't see who we actually are in that mirror. I am seeing my personality. I'm seeing the outflow of who I am, and I'm saying that that's me, right? Well, our identity as believers, if you're, if you're not a believer, it's a, it's a little bit different, but we believe that the gospel has transformed us so that the Holy Spirit took this incorruptible seed and planted it in our heart. And this amazing miracle of life started germinating in our heart. That's who we really are. The Holy Spirit has made us Christ-like. So when I see anything in my life that is not Christ-like, well, that's not me. That is a shroud of Justin Grant's personality that is hanging over this new life that the Holy Spirit has birthed in me. Sometimes that Justin shroud parts a little bit and that new life out shines out. Have you ever like been talking to somebody and like you said really good advice and then as it's bumbling out of your mouth, you're like, I need to write this down. This is really good stuff. <laughs> there are times and we, we say, oh, that, that wasn't me. That was the Lord. No, it was you. The Lord didn't show up and just, oh, I just... He gave me words to say. No, that was you. That was that new life reaching up and shining out. Parted your nasty little greenhouse shroud, and that new life came out. That new life can sometimes come out and bump into somebody, and we have miraculous things that, that take place. Or if you see me and I yell at you because you cut me off in an intersection, that is not the new life springing up out of me. So as believers, we are who the Holy Spirit has made us to be. I might have times that I show laziness, but I am not lazy, right? I might have times that I am rude, but I am not, as a part of my identity, a jerk. The problem is, when we are not convinced of that, we will label ourselves and we will label other people in such a way that it malforms their development. I label people in one word, oh, that guy's a jerk. He is a jerk? He embodies the very definition of jerkness? No, I'm using a word to label somebody's identity. It's not good when we do that to ourselves. It's not good when we do this to other people. Now, remember that nasty um, refrigerator verse that I read? All these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I want to read the next verse in that, which, by the way, Read the whole chapter. <laughs> Always get the context of the verses that we throw on the screen. There is a reason why they're telling these stories. Go back and read the stories that these are couched in. So uh, 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll skip the middle bit because we just read it. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. Present tense. The people that he's writing to are cheating and doing people wrong. Doing it to their brothers and sisters. They're doing it inside the church. 
Don't you know that these wrongdoers will never inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. All of these people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God in verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were justified. You were put in right stand dirt on you because the courts of heaven looked at you and went, you're in good standing. I don't owe anything, not a penny. Well, yay. Whenever we've seen uh, O Brother Where Art Thou, it's like the preacher said that he done washed away our sins. With the Lord, maybe, but the state of Mississippi is a little bit more hard-nosed. Um, Church on the Hill does not endorse nor recommend any Coen Brothers movie. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The problem with believing that our identity is our personality is that I will try to hide the scariest parts of who I believe that I am. All of us have got stuff floating around in our closets that we would shoot somebody over them trying to get a peek at. All of us have done things that we are not proud of and that we would do everything in our power to hide. Well, all of us have these time bombs in our heart. And if I believe I am my personality, all of us are hiding our time bombs from each other. And we get in a room like this and all of us are just waiting to go off, but... No one's talking about the bombs because God forbid we try to diffuse some of it. Stay out of my past. Don't look at my life. Mind your own business. Let me guard the nastiest things about us as opposed to going, hey, I've got some bombs here. Can anyone help me diffuse this? But if I believe that I am the bomb, I'm going to defend that bomb. I'm not that bomb. I've got a funky thing going on in my personality just the same way that someone has bound my feet up and caused me to mature in a way that is, that is hindering my, my ability to perform my destiny on this earth. He's got me bent up, and why in the world would we hide those bindings from each other? Or, the flip side, I get super prideful about the, really th- or the, the things that I do really well. I get incredibly arrogant about, as long as I am better than you at something, I feel good about myself. If we come in here and we would just start being a little bit more honest with each other, not everybody. I'm not saying that we have to come in here and like, all right, today's Sunday, time to air our dirty laundry. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying with this family, if we could start opening up our hearts, I promise you things would start changing in our lives. Imagine you're going to go for a walk in the park. Today would be a good day to take a walk in the park. And all of a sudden, it's rained a whole lot. There's a lot of mud around. You step in something that looks like mud, but was it? You as a rational human being, how would you handle that? You would wash it off as soon as you could, right? I mean, only an idiot would walk around and smell bad on purpose. Well, I've known a couple of people. Okay, so flip that around. What happens if deep down inside you actually believe that you are a piece of crap to the core? You might not tell anybody that, but when you look in the mirror, you see that. And you step in something at the park. Well, how would you respond then? Well, you would defend that. And anybody that tried to come help you clean that off 
would look like somebody like running around trying to take off one of your fingers. Don't try to change who I am. I'm not trying to change who you are. I'm trying to clean off your shoe. You stepped in something and you are tracking it all through the house. We're trying to let you clean up some of the mess. See, all of us are walking around with these messed up things going on and we track our bad ideas through relationships, through marriages, through families, and we cause chaos and drama everywhere we go. And then when someone's like, hey, (laughs) when you walked in, did you feel all the air get sucked out? I felt that. Did you feel that? No. Everybody just doesn't get me. Everybody doesn't like me. I don't fit in. It's like, no, you fit in really well. You're tracking a lot of mud through places. Can we help clean that up? I just feel so judged. I'm not judging you. I'm judging the stuff on your shoe. There's a difference. And any time that I look in the mirror and I confuse my personality, my weird coping mechanisms, my, my bad history, my lies that I believe, when I confuse that with my identity, I will defend that with my life. With that in mind, that image in mind of us trying to defend the stuff that we've stepped in as a part of who we are, it makes sense, the second lie that, that we think about pruning, it makes sense why we view God as this weird, like, serial killer gardener walking around the halls of our lives with, like, rusty pruning shears, wanting to cut things off of us. We would be crazy to not defend ourselves from the crazy God with the rusty pruning shears. But God's not like that because deep down inside, so many of us, myself included, struggle with just the simple phrase that God loves us. We assume that that love means emotional abuse, manipulation, because that's what we grew up knowing. We grew up thinking that our father was like these role models that we have in our lives. And I promise you, your heavenly father is like nobody that you've ever met. I don't care how good your dad or your father figure was. He's way better than that. He is, it is impossible to over-exaggerate the goodness of God. But we have these warped views, these warped ideas of who God is. And so when he comes home, we think that he's dad coming home with a bad attitude and he gets his belt out and starts stunt, or thundering up the stairs coming after us. So we try to hide and we try to run. We might not do that publicly, you know, because we've got a good you know, image to uphold. Lord, just have your way. But secretly, we're like, Mm-mm. it'll hurt. I remember any time that, um, well, specifically, Mom, but anybody tried to get a splinter out, leave it in. Because <laughs> the process of getting a splinter out feels like it hurts way worse. But you can get an infection if you don't get a splinter out. So, like, I I have these, like, traumatic memories of, like, people getting a splinter out, and I'm sure they're taking, like, a hacksaw to my finger because I don't over-exaggerate anything ever. But the idea of God pulling something out of our lives feels like that. It's going to hurt. This pruning process is going to hurt. I don't like it. I don't like it when God prunes stuff because he's trying to cut fingers off of me, and I don't want my fingers pruned. God, don't prune my fingers. I want to read the rest of uh, John 15 for you. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you are going to bear much fruit. It's not like you have to sit there and just be like, apple, 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 apple. 
apple. It's not a struggle for you to produce fruit. If we remain in him and he remains in us, you will produce much fruit. Not even just a little fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is not God coming through, lopping off areas of the branch because he doesn't like him anymore. This branch got disconnected from the vine, and it withered up. There are areas in your life that we get disconnected, and they wither up. God collects those things and gets rid of them for us. He declutters our souls. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's a wonderful life. What do you want? Do you want the moon? Make a lasso and just a lasso down the moon for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you think that the Father is secretly frustrated with Jesus? Do you think there's bad blood between the Father and Jesus? That, that the Father is just waiting to punish Jesus? No. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The power of the gospel is that he has raised us from where we were, and he has placed us in the middle of the Godhead. And we don't stick out. We fit in just fine. It's like we were meant to be there from the beginning. So there's no reason to hide anything in your life. There's no reason to be scared of God looking at anything in your life because he sees you as you are. And he goes, you're incredible. The Bible says that with one look from your eyes, you have unraveled the Father's heart. That's the love that he has for us. He's not some crazed gardener with pruning shears waiting to cut things off of your life. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Oh, well, I know church. Here it is. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love. All right. There's probably 10 of them. He likes commanding things in groups of 10. All right, Jesus. Lay the commandments on me. Let's see if I can struggle, like go to church every Sunday. Okay. Give us all your money. Okay. Meet and greet people. Oh, God. Okay. Nope. Verse 12. My command is this, that you love each other as I've loved you. That's it. That's the only responsibility that the Lord lays at our feet. Love each other. And I want to publicly confess we've messed this up. Like clergy, pastors have messed this up. We have made rooms that surround us and elevate us to try to give the impression that we're some lofty spiritual things? Nope. The command that the Lord has laid on our shoulders is that we love each other the way the Father has loved him. I've blown that. I've blown that. And because I have blown that, I have laid binding strips on other people that has deformed their maturity. And you have too. Because we have an inability to love effectively, we have malformed developing maturities. See, we're stuck in these lies. 
until our eyes open, we have this revelation. When we catch a glimpse of who we actually are, when I figure out who I actually am on the inside, my life has changed and I'm never the same. When I catch a glimpse of how truly the Father loves us, and not some weird, I've got you chained up in my basement, crazy person love, an actual, genuine, pure love, all of a sudden the lights come on and, I, and I'm different. He is this loving Father that is not trying to manipulate he is this loving father that has walked in and saw somebody has bound up his baby girl's feet. He was never intended for you to live through the harsh realities of, of this world. He never intended for those binding ships to be put on your feet. And so when the father shows up, he doesn't show up to berate you. He shows up to prune those binding strips off of you. Because he's a good father. He walked in and saw somebody has put one of his sons in a sandwich board and is crushing his baby's skull. And he walks in not to prune my fingers off, not to cut me back. He prunes off that deforming contraption that the world put me in. That's what he prunes off. When we catch a glimpse, a revelation of who God is, we realize he's not trying to prune off our wings so that we would be more fruitful. He's pruning off the bars of our cage so that we can be free. And so when we see that, the pruning process is not a scary thing. It is somebody that is willing to wash the dirt off of my feet because that dirt is not me. And we see Jesus over and over and over, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, to, to take my robe off, to take my authority off, to kneel down and wash the dirt off of your feet because you've walked a hard road. I'm here to wash this stuff off of you. You're not the dirt, and I'm trying to separate that mess from your life. I can't ever be that light for you, just the same way that you can't ever be that light for me. But I promise this is the last thing that I'm going to say, and we can go home, go outside and stand in the sun for a little bit. That revelation, that light, has always happened in the context of community with me. And so when we harsh on you every Sunday about, you need to get involved in a small group, small group? Hey, have you tried small groups this week? It's like the worst Pepsi ad that you've ever seen. It is not because we're trying to get our second quarter you know, numbers up. I don't, I don't get any more money if you guys sit in small groups. There's not some secret church lottery that we're trying to to win. It is because any time that the light has ever come on for me, it has happened when I have been comfortable enough in a group to be able to let go of my masks. And when someone sees me for who I actually am and they love me anyways, it changes me and it sets me free. And you won't ever feel that if you're always keeping people at arm's distance.